I do want to spend a little bit of time in prayer. We, we've seen the events of uh, what happened this week and in Las Vegas. We want to continue to pray for all those involved. And, um, you know, it had far-reaching implications because people from all over the country come to Las Vegas. And uh, we look at that, and it's like, wow, Lord, uh, it's hard to comprehend. And, and we don't fully understand. We can't, but we can pray. And we are to pray for our nation, even as uh, we've talked about when Jesus gave that teaching of the Olivet Discourse. Uh, there are birth pangs, and there are signs, and, and things are leading up to where we know that the Lord's going to come back. That's our hope. And we need to be praying for our nation right now um, like never before. And so that's what we can do as Christians. And we need to pray for the Christians that are not only in Las Vegas and the crisis counselors that are there for the critical incident and, um, you know, crisis counselors that will be all over uh, the nation as those who uh, were there at that um, concert, 22,000 people. You see, we want to pray for the families who lost loved ones in that shooting, and we want to pray for the wounded, but those who were there at that horrific site, we can't even comprehend what it must have been like. And so we want to pray for those who are ministering to others and for the Christians, and we want to pray for our nation. We want to pray, continue for down in Houston. The last couple months have been, you know, really kind of a rough time, hasn't it, for our country? We want to pray for those in Florida. We want to pray for those in Puerto Rico and in the Caribbean islands that were devastated uh, by uh, the hurricanes that came through. And we want to pray for our nation as a whole. So if you'll allow me to just take that time and then we'll get into our study. As Lord, we come. And Lord, it's difficult to, to see the images that we saw this week and see the images that we've seen over the last couple months. So, Lord, we gather here in one heart and one spirit, and we just pray. We know that you are God that sits on the throne. We also know that um, even as Paul said to Timothy, that in the last days it will be perilous times. And as we've discussed that even recently in a series that we did on Wednesday nights, that, Lord, we as Christians have the opportunity to really be light and to really give the gospel and to uh, give your comfort to others, Lord. The Bible says that we're to give a reasonable answer for the hope that is within us. And as we see those things that are going on around us, Lord, we don't understand, but we can fall back on that which we do understand. And that is the hope that is in us, the gospel, Jesus Christ and him crucified. That there is hope, even as we're going to read in Isaiah. That, Lord, we do lift up those who were affected this week. Uh, we pray for the families and friends of those who lost so many loved ones that, um, that are hurting because of someone who's not coming home. And, Lord, I pray that you bring comfort and healing to those who were injured. Lord, to those who are still in the hospital, Father, that you be with them. And Father, we pray also for those who were there, so many thousands and thousands of people, that the shots probably are still ringing in their heads and the images and images that will be with them for a long, long time. 
And Lord, we pray for your comfort to be upon them. And Lord, that somehow, some way, that they would understand that there is hope and our hope is in you. That it would cause people to turn to you. I pray for the crisis counselors. I, I pray again for our law enforcement. That every day they put the shield on and the badge on and they're there for our good. Willing to lay down their lives for us. Lord, I pray that you would just um, be with those continuing in, in Houston that are cleaning up after the floods and in Florida. Lord, the devastation in Puerto Rico that the supplies that are, are there would get distributed and people would begin to rebuild. But uh, just to have milk for their babies and water and, and Lord, the, the basic things that we take for granted, I pray would reach the people quickly and they would be able to rebuild. And those Caribbean islands that were devastated by, by Irma, Lord, we pray for them as well. So many have been affected, lost their homes, um, lost everything. And so, Lord, we pray that the help would reach them. But we also pray as the Christian community comes together that we would be a light wherever it may be in Texas and Florida and Puerto Rico and the islands there and uh, wherever the case may be in Las Vegas. Because we look around us and we wonder, Lord, what's going on? And Lord, may we keep our eyes on you. And I pray for our nation. We need you, Lord. We need your help. We need to humble ourselves and come to you. So as we are commanded, as Paul wrote to Timothy, that we're to pray for our leaders. So we pray for our president. We pray for our leaders. That there would be a turning to you. That there be a humbling that there be a recognition of, of our need for you, Lord, because you have blessed this nation. But yet we look around and we see it seems like that we're getting further away, becoming more hostile towards you, even as we're going to read in the book of Isaiah the days that he was ministering to, and it breaks our hearts. And we know that the answer is for there to be a great awakening, a revival, and Lord, we pray that you pour out your spirit on this nation. Lord, that these things would cause us to look up and to cry out to you, to humble ourselves. Lord, for us to repent from our sins. And Lord, that we would, as a nation, come back to you. So, Father, I pray for us that are in this place because I know that there are those that are here that they're dealing with their own tragedies and dealing with their own loss or challenges. Maybe it's financial. Maybe it's physical. Maybe perhaps it's emotional. Maybe it's in the family. Maybe it's with the spouse or with kids or whatever the case may be, that, Lord, that we would know that you love us, you care for us. And your promises are true for us. So I pray that you would show yourself strong on our behalf. 
and that we can trust in you, Lord. We can know, even as we went over on Sunday, that the apostles found everything just as Jesus said, and we will find the same thing as well in our lives, that we can stand on your truth and your promises and know that you'll never leave us or forsake us, that we can cast our cares upon you because you care for us, that, Lord, that you promise that you're going to work for good for those who love you, who are called according to your purposes. And we may not understand when we're in the middle of trials and, and difficulties. But Lord, we know that you're with us. So bring us the endurance. Grow our faith. Cause us to, to not pull away from you, but to draw closer to you. I pray for tonight that you would just bless the study. These things are written not as a historical reference, but if this is your word. You're speaking to us. There's something for us to take away from tonight. And I pray that as the word goes forth, it would touch the hearts of every individual that is listening, whether here in the sanctuary, I know the coffee shop's full, and those listening on live stream. That, Lord, that you would bless your word going forth, that it won't return void. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. So as we started the book of Isaiah, you recall that in chapter 2, that Isaiah began a vision. And, and I'll read it to you once again. And we're in the middle of that vision, as he said, that it shall come to pass in the latter days. And Isaiah began to speak about that far fulfillment that will take place, the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, that he'll be there at Mount Zion. When you see that term, he's speaking of Jerusalem. So he's going to sit on, uh, as in Mount Zion, be established there. And, uh, and then after he uh, talks about the millennium reign of Jesus Christ, he goes back to the day of the Lord. You see, Isaiah is indicting Jerusalem and Judah during this time. But as he is indicting them, it gives the atmosphere what it was like, what was going on. Of course, in chapter 1, he says, I'm tired of your new moons, your festivals, your sacrifices, your, your prayers to me. I'm not going to hear because you have, you know, pagan worship and, and that which is false and, and all kinds of deception that's going on. So what we're going to see here is we're going to see the spiritual climate of what was going on. But also, you recall that he talked about the day of the Lord. Now, that day of the Lord, again, is that term that begins with the tribulation period, extends to the end of the tribulation period, includes the second coming of Jesus Christ, and then the millennium reign of Jesus Christ. And so even though as Isaiah kind of bounces around a little bit, he's going to show us what it was like spiritually in those days, uh, the leadership, as we were even looking at last week, that uh, the, the leadership was corrupt, and we'll continue to see that. We're going to see that there was sin and immorality of every kind that was taking place. And, and so Isaiah addressing that. But then Isaiah, it, what's wonderful about the scriptures is when, you know, the scripture is honest about sin and carnality and our need to, to turn away from that. And of course, they were digging in their heels. They were not taking heed to the words of Isaiah, just as we will see when we go into Jeremiah and also Ezekiel. But here's the thing. The Lord doesn't leave them without any hope. And it's like as we will go into chapter 4, it's like Isaiah takes this you know, deep breath and says, but there's hope. And, and that's the wonderful thing about as we read God's word, he will give us correction. 
He chastens his children because he loves us. And he will call us to repentance. And the, as we read the scriptures, what the days ahead are like, but we see the hope that is within us, the blessed hope as the Lord's going to return. And, and then righteousness will cover the earth as waters cover the sea. And so as we considered this, you know, um, speaking of the, the storms that have happened, there's always those. We hear it in the news and the analysts and the scientists that say that there's a, it's due to uh, these storms because of climate change and all of this. Well, I'm not a scientist, and I don't know for sure, but I believe that we are seeing climate change today that is spiritually. And that's why we need to continue to pray for our nation and for the church as well. And some of these things are going to be directly applicable to us as a family and us as a church and also as a nation. And even though he's speaking to Israel, I don't believe that the United States is Israel. There are those who try to make that application here. But there is a template here, an overlying factor that we see what happens when we get further away from the Lord. So let's pick it up in Isaiah chapter 3, verse 10. Keep in mind, again, that Isaiah, he's talking about in chapter 2, this shall come to pass in the latter days, for the day of the Lord of hosts shall come upon everything proud and lofty. And you're going to read that term. We'll go through through chapter 4. This vision continues uh, as we see that he'll say, in that day, in that day. But also, he gives us a glimpse of what was taking place as Isaiah was writing this 2,700 years ago. We left off at chapter 3, verse 10. Say to the righteous that it shall be well with them, for they shall eat the fruit of their doings. Woe to the wicked, it shall be ill with him, for the reward of his hand shall be given him. As for my people, children are their oppressors, and women rule over them. O my people, those who lead you cause you to err and destroy the way of your past. So we left off at verse 10 last time, and you recall that as Isaiah says, that as you do what is right, as you are pursuing righteousness, and keep in mind, Christian, that the Lord desires for us to pursue righteousness. That's all over the scripture from Genesis to Revelation. He desires for us to be holy, even as I am holy, as Peter quotes from the Old Testament in his epistle. And it's a loving Lord that says, listen, I want you to pursue righteousness and holiness because it will be well with you. But if you walk in any kind of sin and carnality, and that which is in disobedience to the Lord is going to be ill with you. So very simple here for us to understand. And I pray that we would have it worked out in our lives where we say, Lord, you're a loving father that loves me so much that you want me to experience that abundant life. And you want things to be well with me. So I'm going to live after your ways. I want to draw close to you. I want to know your ways. And I want to pursue that righteousness and that holiness that you have for me. But if you don't, if you go by the way of the world, or if you go by the way of disobedience and sin, then it's going to be ill with you. It's kind of like what Galatians says. Paul says, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. Whatever a man sows, so shall he reap. And if you sow seeds and, and to the flesh of the flesh, you're going to reap corruption. If you sow to the spirit of the spirit, you're going to reap to everlasting life. None of us are excluded from that spiritual law. And if any of us think that I can continue in sin or compromise carnality of any sort, you know what? It's going to be ill with you. 
And there's going to be that harvest that's going to come up as you're sowing seeds to the flesh of corruption. And it's just not going to be um, well with you at all. And he goes on and he says in verse 12, he says, as for my people, uh, children are their oppressors, women rule over them. He has been talking earlier, as we saw in the chapter, about the leadership, the immaturity of the leadership. And, and there's no one that really wants to lead in that way. And you cause you to err and destroy the way of your past. Listen, there's all kinds of, of voices out there they will try to get you to go down the wrong path. And as we're going through Proverbs, remember that there are all kinds of verses in Proverbs that tells us we're either going to go down to godly wisdom, which is the right path, or if you go down worldly wisdom, that's the wrong path. Listen, don't let anybody influence you to where you're going to take the wrong path. Always filter it through the Word of God because God's Word is true. And with the voices out there, you know, we can, you know, be wondering, should I go this way, that way? Allow the Lord to minister to you and to guide you in every way. But then in verse 13, we read, the Lord stands up to plead and stands to judge the people. The Lord will enter into judgment with the elders of his people and his princes, for you have eaten up the vineyard. The plunder of the poor is in your houses. In verse 15, what do you mean by crushing my people and grinding the faces of the poor, says the Lord God of hosts. So keep in mind that the Lord is the judge. He's going to judge the leaders of Judah. And here we see the attitudes of the leaders. Not only were they immature, not only were they leaders that would lead the people down the wrong path, but they are oppressing the poor. And what we're going to continue to see is that they are leaders that uh, were corrupt. They were violent. They were very greedy. We're going to see a series of woes that he gives in chapter 5. But here they were oppressing the poor. And, and keep in mind that as we go through this, that the Old Testament, particularly, the Lord said to them that I have a heart for the poor. I have a heart for the widow and for the orphan and, and for the stranger. And, and God said, you're to take care of them, but yet they weren't. And then in verse 16, moreover, the Lord says, because the daughters of Zion are haughty and walk with outstretched necks and wanton eyes, walking and mincing as they go, making a jing jingling with their feet. What we're going to see here is it talks about the condition of what it was like with the daughters of Jerusalem, that they were haughty, they were immoral, they were seductive. That's what it means here when it says that uh, they had wanton eyes, seductive eyes. They lived in luxury. They devoted much of their time to appearance and image. And so it talks about the sin of the women at that time and the consequences because of that. So he speaks to the men. He speaks to the women. He's not just singling out the women, but this is what was taking place. They were pursuing, you know, the way that they dressed, the way that they walked around, presented themselves, and what you see even today in a lot of ways uh, with our culture. And so we go on and we continue reading. Therefore, the Lord will strike with the scab, the crown of the head, and the daughters of Zion, and the Lord will uncover their secret parts. In that day, the Lord will take away the final the jingling anklets, the scarves and the crescents and the pendants and the bracelets and the veils and the headdresses and the leg ornaments and the headbands and the perfume boxes and the charms and the rings and the nose jewels and the festal 
apparel and the mantles and the outer garments in verse 22, the purses and the mirrors and fine linen, the turbans and the robes. So we see that the very things that they were prioritizing and pursuing for their own, you know, fleshly desires is going to be taken away from them. The very thing that they were prioritizing and trusting in is going to be taken away. Listen, don't read this and think, ladies, that you can't wear jewelry or, you know, have makeup or, you know, wear something nice. That's not what's being told. There was a reason behind it and a mindset, and that was to pursue sin. And we know that the Lord sees the heart. And, of course, in the New Testament, we know that Peter, he writes about in chapter 3 of his first epistle, and, and, and Paul to Timothy, uh, addressing the ladies about modest apparel, to be an example, a godly example, uh, with their gentle spirit and their godly spirit. And I want to encourage you, ladies, and also you men, to be that example, godly example, and how you live your life. So here we see the heart behind what they were pursuing, and it's all going to be taken away. So Isaiah, dealing with the men, he's dealing with the women of Judah. And then in verse 24, and so it will be, instead of a sweet smell, there will be a stench. And instead of a sash, a rope. Instead of well-set hair, baldness. Instead of rich robe, a girding sackcloth. A branding instead of beauty. And your men shall fall by the sword, and your mighty in the war and her gates shall lament and mourn and she being desolate shall sit on the ground so this judgment is going to come and here it says instead of being a sweet smell you're going to be one that you're going to give off a stench instead of you know having that uh set hair that's uh you know that you have you're going to have baldness and the the apparel that you wanted to have you're going to end up being in sackcloth. Instead of beauty, it's not going to be beauty. You see, any of us, listen, that if we're pursuing the things of the world and the pleasures of the world, you're not going to be a sweet smell and aroma. There's just going to be a stench of sin that's going to be in your life. If any of us here that we desire to, to pursue the worldliness, that there's going to be a boldness, there's going to be a dryness, there's just going to be terrible consequences that are going to take place in our lives. And so keep in mind, it's a loving father here that is saying, don't go down that path. Don't go that way. But stay close to me. Walk with me. And, and believe my word. It's a heartbreaking father that is saying this. Oh, this is what's going to happen. The consequences of sin is he is going to judge sin. And at our gates, again, closing the chapter, shall lament and mourn. And there will be mourning in your heart if you pursue that of the world or sin or carnality. I think that I think all of us, if I was asked, do you want to have joy in your life? I think you would say yes. I don't think anybody here would say, oh, I really want to be miserable in life. The way to joy and the fullness of joy is in your presence, is what David wrote. To have a fullness of joy, Jesus said in John chapter 15, is to abide in him and abide in his word and abide in his love. And so for all of us, may we just 
really encourage one another to walk in the ways of the Lord, especially in the days in which you are in where there's so many voices and there's so much around us that will take us away from the things of the Lord. We got to be careful. So here we see that he continues, chapter 4, actually verse 1, continues with the, the um, uh, chapter here, that in that day seven women shall take hold of one man, saying, we will eat our own food and wear our own apparel. Only let us be called by your name to take away our reproach. So we see here that as uh, we begin chapter 4, the result of God's judgment that we just read in verses 16 through 26 of chapter 3, the daughters of Zion will have few men to choose from as husbands uh, because there's not going to be that many that are going to be available. And even then, the daughters of, of Zion don't expect them to provide for them. They said, we'll eat our own food here is what we will do. And we just, you know, we'll be called by your name, but, you know, we'll wear our own apparel. We don't expect you to provide for us or to provide food for us. We just, we just, you know, don't have much of a choice. Listen, I just want to encourage you guys, all of us that are here, that God has divinely ordained us and commissioned us to lead, to lead in our families and in our marriages. And what I want to do is I want to encourage you in every way to lead and not be passive in that because God wants you to do that. And there's blessing and benefit to your spouse and to your family as you say, Lord, help me to lead. And leading means you're going to provide for them, not just physically, materially, but you're going to be providing for them spiritually. Guys, don't be passive in that. But we need to encourage one another that we would lead and, and that you, husband, as you lead, what's that leading looks like? That you're to love your wife as Christ loves the church and gave his life for her. And you've heard me teach on this before, that what that means is you're to cherish her, to love her unconditionally, that you are to be willing to lay down your life for her and that you serve her you serve her, and you serve your family. Learn to be a servant. And Jesus said that he came not to be served, but be the servant of all. That's how he loved us. He gave his life for us. And you're to wash her, as Paul goes on to say in Ephesians chapter 5, with the water of the word. Guys, let's encourage each other to really be those spiritual leaders in our homes to lead our wives, and none of us, you know, are perfect leaders, and that's why we need to encourage one another. But don't be passive in that. That you wash your wife and your kids with the water of the word. You protect your home, what comes into your home. You pray with them, with your family. You pray for them. And I commend you for bringing them out on Wednesday nights because a lot of people have other choices to make, but you have decided to come here to be fed the Word of God yourself and for your children to be fed and for your youth kids to be fed. And we want to come alongside of you and we want to help you in every way that we can. But I also want to encourage you guys that perhaps that are single and, and maybe someday you want to be married or have a family, listen, learn to lead. Grow up. Grow spiritually and be maturing. 
Because God, if he has you come to that state to where you get married, and when you're married, you are a family, and you have children, you're going to be called to lead. Guys, learn to grow. Continue to grow. Mature. Young ladies, those of you who are single, that perhaps someday that you pray that, Lord, I have a desire to be married. There's some that, uh, as you're in a single state, that you're okay with that. You have a peace about it. I want to encourage you in that, that you can focus on the Lord. And the Bible also says, according to 1 Corinthians chapter 7, that it's good to be in that state because you can focus on the Lord, even as Paul said, that I advise that you stay single just as I am because of that. But he says that, that if the Lord has you to be in that state of being married, be married. But young ladies, you wait for that man. That's going to come and lead you. Can I give you some advice from old Pastor Jeff? It's no, not so much finding the right man as it is for waiting for him. And you look for that young man is what I pray that's going to be willing to lead you. And love you. And cherish you. And serve you. You look for that one that's going to serve. You know, on Sunday, we're going to talk about, as they're arguing about greatness, Jesus says, you want to be great, then you learn to serve. You learn to be the one that's serving. Don't have the attitude of lording over others. And sometimes I think that men, given that role and responsibility of leading in their home, means that I get to walk around like Mr. King Tut, being all dictatorial and demanding and all this, and everything centers around me. You look for that one who's going to love you and cherish you and serve you. Guys, you learn to serve. You know, I've shared with you some of the things that my dad taught me. And when I was young, and I appreciate him now, when I was young, it irritated me. (laughs) He taught me about the value of work. And if you had a father that taught you the value of work, you were blessed. And he taught me about respecting others and And dads, I want to encourage you to, when you take your sons out and they're growing up and they're getting older, to talk to them about respecting people and respecting mom and sister because the way that you treat them is going to go a long ways in how you're going to treat your future spouse. Do you talk to them about integrity and character? Spend time with them. But encourage them to grow up. And my dad did that in that way. I'm so very grateful. And and at times it was kind of like, you know, when he had me get up in the mornings and, you know, get your pajamas off and put your pants on and you got chores to do, that I've shared with you how that was a valuable lesson. And, And I've said this before, that you guys, there's a time in your life that you need to take the pajamas off and put your pants on, spiritually, all right? But also one of the things that dad would do, and he wasn't, you know, rude about it or he, you know, embarrass us in front of people. But, you know, if we were like this all the time, he'd say, get your hands out of your pocket. It just bothered him. I don't know why. Get your hands out of your pocket. Because he expected those hands to be doing something. You guys, don't stand around with your hands in your pocket. 
Learn to serve. I think if Jesus wore pants, I know he didn't, he didn't have his hands in his pockets. But his hands was reached out to touching those children. It tells us in Mark's Gospels, he reached out and he touched them and he blessed them. Those hands of his were ones that reached out and touched the leper. That one came to him and said, Lord, if you're willing, cleanse me. And Jesus said, I'm willing. And it says there, as Dr. Luke writes, that he reached out and touched that man that was full of leprosy and immediately he was cleansed. It was those hands that, that pulled Peter out of the water as Peter was walking on the water and he began to sink and he only had time to say, Lord, save me. And he reached out and he grabbed Peter and he plopped him back in the boat. It was those hands that were rough because he was a carpenter and he grew up in that carpenter shop. It was the hands that he allowed them to drive a nail through. And to die for you and for me. And men, whether you're married or whether you're a father, whether you're single and you hope to be married someday, whether you're content in being in a single state, listen, he has so much for you. Learn to serve. Learn to serve others. And it's a message for me. There's opportunities for us every day to serve. And we see that change of climate today. Sometimes I deal with those, oh, I want to minister, I want to be in ministry. Listen, you want to be in ministry? The ministry starts at home. It starts with your wife and with your kids. And if you are not doing that, you're not going to be able to come here and minister. And that's something that I know in 25 years of being full-time ministry, that I know I wouldn't be able to do what God has called me to do if I wasn't ministering at home. And again, none of us do this perfectly. But it's a conviction that we should have. You want to minister? You learn to serve and serve others. And people don't care because there are those who will come and say, oh, I want to teach and, you know, I've done this. That's great if you got the gift of teaching. They want to show people how smart they are, but they really don't care how smart you are. And they don't care how much you know until they know how much you care. Serve others. Guys, we want to encourage you to grow. Because the Lord wants to do so much in our lives. And, and young ladies, you wait for that, man. And I know I've said this before. I'm going to say it again tonight. Leave the boys alone. But if a godly man comes along, that the Lord brings to you, be thankful and wait for him. And I know that you'll be blessed. So here it was. It was just dire days. And, and there wasn't the men around. And we've seen that in Isaiah chapter 3, that the children, the immature ones that were leading, and it didn't work. And he's called us guys to maturity to lead in the way that he wants us to. So now, I know it was a little heavy on that. In the day, the branch of the Lord, like Isaiah takes his breath, you know, and he takes, takes a deep breath, and he gives hope in that day. In that day, the branch of the Lord, that is a term of Messiah, is gone, shall be beautiful and glorious. And the fruit of the earth shall be excellent and appealing for those of Israel who have escaped. And so we see here that, that the Lord is going to come and rule and reign 
in the latter days again. And then in verse 3, and it shall come to pass that, that he who is left in Zion remains in Jerusalem will be called holy and everyone who is recorded among the living in Jerusalem. And so um, for those of Israel, as they will go through a time of Jacob's trouble, the day of the Lord, they will go through a difficult time for seven years. And at the end of that seven years, right before the return of Jesus Christ, that there will be a remnant that will be left. We know that Zechariah is going to talk about that. When we get to that book, we know that Ezekiel particularly will talk about it, as well as Jeremiah, and later on in Isaiah. So we'll talk more specifically about it. But it's going to be a time of difficulties and great tribulation. Again, it's called Jacob's trouble that uh, will happen to them. And then in verse 4, when the Lord was washed away the filth of the daughters of Zion and purged the blood of Jerusalem from her midst by the spirit of judgment and by the spirit of burning, then the Lord would create above every dwelling place Mount Zion and uh, above her assemblies a cloud and smoke by day and the shining of a flaming fire by night. Does that remind you of anything? Book of Exodus, right? The wilderness wandering. There was the Shekinah glory of God, the tangible presence of God. There was the pillar of cloud by day that shielded them from the desert sun, pillar of fire by night. As it gets cold out there in the desert, it not only kept them warm, but it was a light to them and guided them. And it was the tangible presence of God. And here during the millennium reign, when the Lord comes back, as he takes the remnant of them through the fire, and then also he will judge the nations, restore the nation of Israel. We'll see all these prophecies. And then he will establish his kingdom for a thousand years here on the earth and rule from Jerusalem. The tangible presence of God is going to be absolutely incredible. It's what it's going to be. And as we see that for over all the glory, there will be a covering. And there will be, verse 6, a tabernacle for shade in the daytime and from the heat for a place of refuge and for a shelter from storm and rain. Isn't that going to be glorious? I can't wait for that time to come. When we're going to see the Lord, he's going to rule and reign. Again, it's a time that's going to be so glorious and so wonderful, and he shall be a covering for us. But maybe you're here tonight, and maybe it's been stormy in your life, and maybe it's been raining on you, that your refuge is Jesus. And he desires to be that refuge for you right now. And I may not know what it is that you're going through, but the Lord does. And he desires when your heart is overwhelmed and you feel like it's even as David wrote in Psalm 61, when I'm at the end of the world, when my heart is overwhelmed, I will cry out to you, Lord, and you will be a refuge for me. You know, David was writing that at a time where he was out there in the wilderness and when his son Absalom was pursuing him and wanted to kill him. He was at the end of his world at that time. And maybe you feel like I'm just at the end of, of my rope. I just don't know what to do. I want you to cry out to the Lord. You see, here's our tendency our tendency can be to begin to pull away from the Lord. And in those times of storminess and rain in our lives, it's a time to draw close to the Lord. And I want to encourage you for those who are going through difficulties. And I know that the herd is real. 
There may be a hole in your heart. There may be even as Jesus, as we talked about on Sunday, that Judas, the betrayer, goes out to betray him. That I think a lot of us, as we live life, that we have some sense of betrayal that happened to us. But some here that you've gone through a betrayal that has deeply, deeply hurt you. And Jesus, even in that time, gathers his disciples to himself. And he says, oh, how I desire to eat this Passover with you, to have the deep, intimate fellowship with you. And if you're here tonight, you've gone through some sense of betrayal or some hurt, storm in your life. He desires to have that quiet place to be set aside for you to come. And have intimate fellowship with him. Don't pull away. It's a time where he desires for you to draw close. Because as you draw close to him, he promises he'll draw close to you. And have that sweet fellowship with him as he speaks to you and brings comfort to you. As he desires to to make himself real to you. That he is going to be that covering for you. All right? And his promises are true for you. And he's not going to abandon you. You may feel abandoned. But he's there and he's working in your life. Stay close to him. And as we come to the communion table here, and that's what we're going to do at this point. We're going to stop here and we'll go into chapter 5 next time. I was hoping to finish chapter 5 tonight. But as we go to the communion table, listen. As we talked about on Sunday, this is just not an exercise or what we do. It's for the believer that holds the cup and the bread and remembering what Jesus did for you, his body broken, his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. You have hope because of what Jesus Christ did in going to the cross. And he loves you. And as you continue to, to, at this time, as we just spend time Receiving the communion elements, we'll partake of them together. But just to be in a time of worship. And if you feel distant or you've been pulling away from the Lord, or maybe in your life there's been some kind of carnality and sin you've been caught up in, go to the Lord right now. It's a great time to just examine yourself, even as Paul would say when we come to the communion table. And know that he loves you so much, wanting to work in your life, desiring for you to come to him. And to trust in him and rest in his promises given to you. So, Father.